0: This is the culture.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Wave podcast. I am your host for today, Zach Miller, and I'm here with a very, very special guest, a good friend of mine, Brian
0: Sudfield. Hello, Zach. Hello. Very excited to be here.
1: That was a stellar introduction, by the way. Oh,
0: thanks, man. I appreciate that. I'm I'm really happy you could (laughs) swing by. Your introduction was pretty great,
1: too. That was rehearsed, yeah. So it's good. (laughs) But I'm really glad that you could come in. And um, Brian is here to talk about the Toronto International Film Festival. He had the special honor of being on as press. Um, So he had a great experience with that. and He's going to describe his time at the festival. But before we get into that, we want to get to know a little bit more about brian himself so brian (laughs) let's go back like day one in diapers like where what is your origin to film and what got you into film what's your you know these are icebreaker conversation questions like (laughs) what is your favorite film all these things
0: okay so apparently according to my parents my first (laughs) word that i ever said was dvd i wish there was evidence (laughs) of me saying that as my first word i really wish there was evidence about that but um, I guess ever since I said the word DVD, the love for film just came right away. No, I've loved film my entire life. I've watched countless movies throughout my childhood into my adulthood. I would go to the movies constantly with my parents when I was a kid. Then as I got older, I would sit down to watch these celebrated movies. Like many of the films that are mentioned throughout here in this little studio, like Back to the Future, Zach has a Pulp Fiction poster right behind There's an Empire Strikes Back poster right over there. Forrest Gump and all these other things. <laughs> but... No, I just have always loved sitting down and escaping for however long and immersing myself into the world that this story is presenting to us. And my favorite movie of all time, it, it's been going back and forth a lot lately, but I'm certain that Catch Me If You Can from mm. Steven Spielberg is my favorite film of all time. It's so ridiculous how concerned that Spielberg directed it. Nobody talks about it. Concerned that Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks are in it. Nobody talks about it, which is really sickening in my opinion, but it's so good. And anyone listening that has not seen Catch Me If You Can, if you and if you consider yourself a Spielberg fan, not <laughs> to go off on you or anything, but if you haven't seen the movie, then I'm sorry. You're gonna have to reevaluate yourself and just watch <laughs> that movie immediately after you get off this podcast.
1: <laughs> I completely agree. To catch me if you or catch me if you can is is a timeless film and i think um it's one of spielberg's most overlooked films
0: it absolutely uh,
1: is so i'm really glad you gave that answer too and i think that's a really good pick as just your overall top all time but i know it is hard that is a hard question to it come is. Up with like a short answer like that but um you've also told me that you go into new york a lot to catch a lot of screenings of um anniversary films or select screenings so tell me a little bit about that too
0: Yeah, when you live in a place like New Jersey, you unfortunately don't have the opportunity to see a lot of classic movies restored and brought back to theaters because unfortunately, and Zach could agree to this, the people in New Jersey, again, no disrespect, but a lot of people in New Jersey don't care about movies like they should. If it's a Marvel movie, they'll be there day one. But if it's a movie from someone like, Scorsese, for instance, they're not gonna give a shit about that. Am I allowed (laughs) to curse on this, by the way? Yeah, yeah, I
1: mean, you might as well, yeah. (laughs) As a New Jerseyan, I feel like it's my obligation to do that as well.
0: But no, I go into New York and I hear about all these print screens, films that show on 35 millimeter or 70 millimeter. And I like to experience certain films that I may not have seen for the first time in a theater surrounded by a crowd of film geeks. And I've told Zach this many times, but anytime I have the opportunity to go see a certain movie on the big screen in New York, I'll happily take that opportunity because I recently went to a screen of Eternal Sunshine in New York. And I've seen it many times. It's fantastic. It's a great film. But just seeing it surrounded by a crowd of actual genuine film lovers really made the experience so much better. So it's always a delight to be in an environment surrounded by people who have the same passion that you have when watching a movie.
1: Yeah, I think it's really nice, too, to have a background in, you know, you have the accessibility to watch some of these movies at home, but there's a celebration when you go and take the time to go see the film in theaters and to have a community like that, especially in New York. Like, it is all film people that are turning out for those but special screenings and those like um, like the angelica film center the alamo draft house like all those cool little niche spots in the city those are like really fun to just go and appreciate a good movie and grab you know that enthusiasm again that gets you into it but um what also got you into doing film journalism was it a sense of you just like to break down movies and then you gravitated more towards um doing podcasts. And I know you had a little bit of a background in doing YouTube reviews and stuff like that. So tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, I realized that as someone who really appreciates the craft of film and just watching them and learning how they're put together and what have you, I started taking a liking towards talking about them more than I did of making them and analyzing them and studying them and what have you. But I think it's cool that there are people that are so fascinated with the concept of the film that they sit down and they decide to talk about what they liked about the film, what they didn't like about the film, what could have made it better, what could have possibly made it worse. And I've been doing film journalism for almost a decade. I've podcast for so long and I was doing YouTube, like you said, Zach, for quite some time and I always just got excited to go watch a movie and then just talk about it afterwards, even if it was a film that I didn't really care for. I just always loved sitting down and just discussing for a couple of minutes of why I loved the film or why I hated the film. And even though I do have a background in filmmaking, I have a degree in filmmaking, I started realizing that I'm not as interested in making films as I am talking about them. Mm
1: hmm yeah. And I think there, there's always a need for that too. You know, it's definitely what we both do with our podcasts and stuff uh-huh. like that. So it's also opening that dialogue and that goes into just art in general of why we appreciate movies and why we um, find subjective backgrounds in some type of movies too. Like sometimes you and I get different reactions from movies and you know, so will other people that we go into the theater with. And I think that's also really interesting and um something that we can both appreciate with just talking about movies and seeing movies is there's not always one definitive answer to something and i think it's cool that you know journalism gives that gateway of appreciating it and then also saying this works for this reason and this didn't work for this reason and i think that's a good collaborative medium um so tell me about your podcast specifically and what you are trying to facilitate with that
0: Yeah, so I have a podcast called Film Fragments, and basically it's an average top five podcast where me and a guest talk about our top five favorite films from an actor, director, or genre of their choice. And I like to release these episodes around the time that a film related to said topic comes out. So, for example, I did an episode not too long ago on... Um, there's so many episodes I've done. I've done like <laughs> almost, I've done like 70 of them at this point. But wow. a great example is that I did an episode on Hayao Miyazaki and he has his new film coming out very, very soon. So I had someone who claimed themselves to be a big Miyazaki fan and they were, and they got to gush with me about their favorites from the guy. And it's always fun to, one, meet people who, again, have a similar passion to you where they just gush about film. But also it's amazing just to hear about these people gush about the topics in film that they resonate with the most. So when there's someone who says, oh, my favorite filmmaker is Paul Thomas Anderson, you could just see the passion that they have for that guy's films. Or if someone says, I want to talk about Kate Winslet, you could see the passion that that person has for her performances. And I've done this podcast for a year and a half, and I've gone to have so many incredible film geeks on. I've had so many great episodes that have come out of the show, so many cool topics, and- it's honestly also helped me explore these filmographies of these actors and directors and even these genres and explore them in ways that I never anticipated. So I love doing film fragments. It's something that I'm very proud of. And, you know, a lot of people think that podcasting isn't something that special, but if you're passionate about what it is that you do, that's the beauty of it. And I don't do this for views or money or followers. That's never been the case for me. Film Fragments has always just been about getting to meet fellow film geeks, seeing them go about what it is that they love and just spending an hour to two hours, just talking with them about what they love most. That's really
1: special. I think that's awesome. And then the way that you time the podcast with the way that things come out and the release dates. And then I think it's also really cool that you found so many people with a niche in all of those backgrounds too. Like there are so many directors and actors that you covered and then specifically like i remember the disney podcast that you made of the um i think it was top five and bottom five or of disney and um or or just how well the live action ones yes right yeah so that was really cool and then um to hear other people talk about films um like from from disney you're like oh yeah i forgot about that live action movie they made in the 2000s i grew up with that and it created a similar feeling of you know everybody just talking and having a dialogue about what got them into film or why they appreciate this movie so much. And, and then you're left to think like, Oh, I never thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. Or like you are familiar with the director and you've seen their stuff, but with someone gushing about it, like you're saying, it's like, Oh wow, that's cool. I never thought about it like that. And that's really cool that they got that takeaway from this or those movies helped them through a specific time. And that's, that's really cool. So, I commend you for doing a project like that and doing it in fragments and highlighting cool people too. So I I know they definitely appreciate that. Thanks man. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. And I also want to segue into your success, just getting into the press side of it now too. You're getting into more um, high key journalism when you're covering festivals and um, you've you've been to a, a number of them so far, but You just went to TIFF and that's like our big topic of conversation. A lot of people don't know how big, like the average Joe might not know how big festival circuits are in the film world. And TIFF is one of the biggest ones. So what was your impression of TIFF before going?
0: So I've dreamt of going to TIFF for as long as I can remember. The thing that's so cool about the Toronto Film Festival and really just a lot of festivals that happen around this time of the year, like Venice, Telluride, Toronto and New York, is that this is the place where a lot of these movies that we're going to talk about till the end of the year make their big debut and their big premieres and everything. And these are the movies that we're going to be talking about really until the Oscars happen early on in the following year. So TIFF had a lot of big titles. That's usually the case with the festival, but they also tend to be the stepping stone for a lot of smaller titles from smaller filmmakers from all over the globe. And it being based in Canada, there's a lot of Canadian storytellers there just trying to get their big break. And it's really incredible to see how this city just comes together for this one festival and they just go so hard and they're so excited to be there to celebrate the craft of film. It just You could just sense the energy. You could feel it just throughout every single venue. You could feel it on the streets of Toronto and you know, I never thought that I would ever be able to go to this festival and just having the opportunity to do that this year was really amazing. And it is important to note that this year of TIFF was very different from other years because of everything that's going on right now in the industry with right. the SAC after strikes and the WGA strikes. So there wasn't as much talent there to promote the work. And you could definitely feel the sense being different than it usually is. Like, the vibes were so much different because last year they had all these high-profile titles. They had The Whale there, so Brendan Fraser was there. They had The Sun, Hugh Jackman, was there. The Fablements was there, so that entire cast was there. Women Talking, like, all these big titles were there. And all these actors and filmmakers involved with set projects were there. So I can understand a lot of people being disappointed if they go to a film festival just for the celebrities and everything. But it's never been that way for me. Of course, it's nice seeing the actors and filmmakers talk about their movies and promote them and what have you, but you're there to watch movies. Mm. You're there surrounded by people who love film just like you. Mm. And the thing about TIFF is that not only are you surrounded by people from the States and Canada, you're surrounded by people from all over the globe. I can tell you that I've met so many people that were from Europe and Australia. I even met someone from New Zealand who works for Letterboxd. It's incredible Just to see how everyone comes together for this week-long festival Mm -hmm. in Canada. And you could just sense the love and the energy that's there. It's unlike any place that I've ever been to. And I had heard for years that it was the festival to go to. And I was so afraid that it wasn't going to live up to the hype. But it honestly exceeded my expectations. Wow. I had such a great time going. And I highly recommend anyone listening, if you're looking for a festival to go to, you should definitely try to cross TIFF off your bucket list for sure. So you were there for how many days? I was there for a week. And how many films did you see? I saw almost 30 films, 27 to be exact. Whoa, that's like four a day. That, or more. That's like four or five a day. My first day I saw six movies. <laughs> <laughs> to, 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 give you a rundown, to give you a rundown of my wow. very first day, my first press screen, and to keep in mind, as, when you go as press, you have the option to go to press screens and you also have the option to go to public screens so thankfully as press you have more leeway of attendant screens because everything's scattered and what have you and obviously you're not going to be able to see everything there were some films that i unfortunately didn't get around to seeing due to my time there and how it conflicted with other films that were higher priority for me but my first press screen on day one was at 8 30 in the morning <laughs> and just to tell you my last movie um my last movie started at midnight Oh and I gosh. was at the theater from about 8.15 in the morning to about 1.45 in the morning.
1: No and, way. And, Dude,
0: wow. And it you were drank.
1: injecting cinema into your veins. I, I really
0: was. I mean, that's listen, <laughs> I'll happily inject cinema in my veins until my veins don't want to take it anymore. But <laughs> um, no, it's crazy how there are people – Believe it or not, who actually end up seeing way more films in a shorter time frame than I did. Wow. Because, you know, I like to make sure that I have time to eat, <laughs>
1: yeah, sleep, you know, basic necessities. Mostly yeah, eat, yeah. but
0: you know, that's okay. <laughs> because when you go to these festivals, you're running around from screen to screen. You have very little time to just relax and take a chill pill and what have you. But yeah, I saw about four to five movies a day. Six, that that was the only day where I saw six. I decided to go crazy on my first day, and I'm not complaining at all. I had a great time going, and I could have easily seen more films, but I told myself that I want to have time to relax. I want to have time to hang out with people. I want to have time to sleep, mainly sleep. But even when I told myself that I was going to have time to sleep, I probably got average – maybe like four or five hours of sleep every night that I was there. Oh my gosh, wow. And it was rough. It was rough. I'm not going to lie. There was a lot of caffeine in my system. I I don't even want to think about how much coffee I drink (laughs) per day. Probably maybe... I'm not. I'm not proud to admit this. Probably like three cups of coffee a day. It was oh. really bad. It was Dude, really those are bad. small.
1: You gotta up those numbers. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. Uh, I yeah, drank yeah, like yeah. a hot
0: coffee, and then I went to an iced coffee, and then I went back to a hot coffee. That is
1: journalism like, in itself, it's, right there. It was there, literally man.
0: journalism. I was staying up, writing stuff, and I was recording videos <laughs> and doing all these other things, and then. Trying to have the time of my life in Toronto. and um,
1: <laughs> It sounds like you did, though.
0: I did have the time. It was great. It was really incredible. I mean, I got to see a lot of really exciting films. I didn't see as many films that I didn't like, which was nice. I knew that I was going to come across some titles that I wasn't a fan of. But mm. overall, I mean, I could say that I saw more winners than losers at TIFF. And okay. man, I don't even know where to start. I just I, I saw a mix of practically everything I saw. Westerns, foreign films, comedies, dramas, musicals, action films, thrillers, romances. I saw a mix of everything. Animated films, I saw too much. And really? I, I saw there was, there was a big collection of animated uh, films. There was a big that's collection. Cool. There was a uh, there was a wow. nice array of everything at this festival from countries from all over the globe in different languages. Some films were short as heck, and then some were incredibly lengthy. But that's to be expected when you go to a festival like this and Yeah, I just I'm really grateful that I had this opportunity with the outlet that I podcast for. And Mm -hmm. I really cannot stress enough still how shocked I am that I even went because really at the start of this year, if you were to tell me at the start of 2023 that I was going to go to TIFF, I would have been like, that's not happening. There's no way it would be great, but there's no way it's happening. And then it ended up happening and it didn't really hit me that I was going until probably day two that I was there. Right. Like when I sat down for my second day, I'm like, I can't believe I'm actually here. It just feels so surreal and euphoric. And I'm so glad that I got to do it. Well,
1: yeah. Tell them about um, your experience with just applying as present. Weren't you doing this for years? You were applying and just hoping to get in. Right.
0: So I, I, knew that getting into tiff as press would be a little complicated if you weren't doing anything for an outlet so in the last year i've been podcasting for this very exciting outlet called the rolling tape and we had made our first press um accreditation with tribeca earlier this year and tribeca is definitely an easier festival to get in because it's not as global as tiff is like tiff is arguably one of the biggest festivals not only in america but just around the world um, but yeah, we did press for tribeca Becca, and we pumped out a lot of great content out there. And we were like, you know what? Let's give Toronto a try. Let's just apply. You know, there, it doesn't cost anything to apply. Why not give it a try and see what happens? And everyone kept on saying, Oh, you're gonna get in. You have a lot of coverage under your belt. You have a lot of good content under your sleeve, and you have a good following follower account with the Rolling Tape. And I said, I I don't know. We're a relatively new outlet, so we'll have to see and. Me and one of my colleagues, we got to go, and I'm so over the moon that we got to do it. And I was nervous. I'm not going to lie. I was very nervous to do this. I Mm. didn't know how I was going to handle it if I didn't get in. But I always kept saying to myself, there will be next year. This festival is not going anywhere. It will happen next year. And just the joy of getting in and just seeing that email. Yeah. It was a lot to take in. It yeah. was, I, I didn't even know how to process it. It's kind of equivalent to when I made this joke to one of my coworkers. I'm like, you know, see, you just announced that you ha- you're having a child, and that's great. And everything, <laughs> but getting into Toronto <laughs> is on the same level for me as it was for you having a child. <laughs> it's your baby for a week. Yeah.
1: It's twenty-six movies over and over again. 20, 20, probably the same out of sleep twenty. You actually twenty-seven got too. actually, to correct yeah. you, twenty-seven. Twenty-seven, sorry. Twenty seven. The same as sleep nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome, man. I'm really happy because you were really working at that uh with podcasting and just you know, journalism in itself too. And and that's good that you're plugged into a good outlet for that. So um, but with the I wanna get into the films now that you did see at the festival, and we're not gonna go over all of them because there's that wouldn't be possible
0: that wouldn't be possible
1: that would we would be here till 1am like you said (laughs) um but i want to you i want you these don't have to be in order to give me five of your favorites from the festival and um they don't have it doesn't have to be in order just um tell me a little bit about the film um and then uh for our viewers no spoilers yet but
0: yeah absolutely i just have to pull up my letterbox just to see what i saw I feel like I have to get a particular film that somebody on this show, actually multiple people on this show, talked about how excited they were to see it, Uh, Dream Scenario, which is a film starring Nicolas Cage, uh, produced by Ari Aster, and it follows a professor that somehow has ended up in people's dreams, and that's all I'm going to tell you because that's all you need to know walking into this movie. (laughs) Now, if you're a fan of Nicolas Cage, you have to watch this movie because Nicolas Cage is Pretty incredible in this, and you know, when you think of Nicolas Cage, you think of very over the top, bonkers, zany entertainment, and there definitely is some of that bonkers to be found in Dream Scenario. But this surprisingly is more restrained than one would think. I certainly was taken aback by how restrained and laid back it was. It definitely got intense in certain parts. Not going to spoil anything here for anyone listening, but um. I really love the approach that this took on what it was discussing, and my letterbox review for this, my little letterbox entry, is honestly one of my favorites. Not to plug my letterbox or anything, <laughs> but um, you know, I don't again don't want to spoil anything. No, but drop the, your, uh, the way your that this is described yeah. on my letterbox is. Nicolas Cage's *Tar* if it were a quasi-horror dramedy, there's horror elements, there's drama <laughs> elements, and there's comedy elements, too. And if you're a fan of the movie *Tar*, and if you are, thank God, because masterpiece. Oh, but, um, yeah, there's so many directions that this film goes that you will absolutely not expect as soon as the movie begins. But if you're a fan of Nicolas Cage, it's a must-see. And I believe it's coming out at some point later this year. I did not get to go to the premiere of this, which really bummed me out because I waited in line for two hours to go online in the rush line. I couldn't get a ticket for it, Hmm. but I went to the press screen the following morning at like eight thirty in the morning. It was pads and God, the adrenaline rush that I honestly needed, and it's also one of Nicolas Cage's most tender performances to date. Really, like he's so he's just you feel so bad for the guy. I mean, he is just a schlubby professor who cares about his family and cares about his job. And then all of a sudden this thing happens to him and it's not something that he wants, but you know, he kind of slowly embraces it and it takes a turn for the better or worse. Again, not going to spoil anything, but it really is a fantastic film. And I'm so glad I got to see it. It was definitely high up on my radar, but I wasn't sure if I was going to even be able to see it. And I'm really glad I did because it ended up being one of my absolute favorites of the festival. That's awesome.
1: Was Nicolas Cage in your dreams afterwards? Was he also in there? You know, Was I'm not gonna. Professing?
0: I'm not. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Um, he definitely did appear in my dreams after I, I saw this movie.
1: He already did for me, so that's okay. Well, <laughs> give me a number four. Like, or or not? Like I said, not in order,
0: but just right, seven. right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So, um, ranked next on my list, um, is a film that I went into knowing literally nothing about. And it was a film that wasn't even on my radar to see. And that's a film called Saint Sane, which stars the always great Coleman Domingo. If you're a fan of Coleman Domingo, I mean, this is an acting showcase for him. And it's funny because he had two films that played at, <clears throat> at Toronto. One of them being the biopic about Bayard Rustin, who was very pivotal in the march against Washington. And then this film, Saint Sain, it follows these... Um, prisoners from the Sing Sing facility in New York and they are all putting it on the show because they're a part of this theater program and the best thing that I could say about this movie is that it had my favorite ensemble from TIFF because the interesting thing is with this film and I didn't know this until Walking Out but apparently everyone knew this Walking in except for me other than Coleman Domingo all the fellow prisoners in the movie were actually played by ex-inmates of this facility. They were playing themselves. They were graduates of this theater program in this facility. And you could just see that that added so much nuance and tenderness to the performance. It honestly made it feel more raw than you could have imagined because you weren't watching actors act. You think you were watching actors act, but instead you're watching these people who went through these struggles basically bring them back to life for us to watch. And it's a beautiful portrait of how art can heal you when you need something to heal you the most. All these people are broken in their own way. They're all going through their own struggles. Mm. And it's a really moving picture. And A 24 actually just acquired the rights for this movie a few days ago at the time of this recording. And, Mm. I'm so excited for everyone to see it because this was a hidden gem at the festival. I went into it not knowing anything except for the fact that Coleman Domingo was in it. And it wasn't even on my list to see. But after hearing all the buzz about it throughout the festival, I'm like, I cannot leave Toronto without seeing this movie. Yeah. And I'm so glad I did because it ended up being yeah. one of my absolute favorites that I saw the entire festival. And it's going to be one of the most buzzed about titles when it finally hits theaters some point next year.
1: That just seems like a very original um, form, well, uh, story. You know, just like inmates bonding over uh, their trauma, but through stage shows. Yeah, I'm reading so, about through it. Through how
0: art could bring people together. Okay, everyone has yeah. passions that help them feel whole when they feel down and broken and hopeless and lost. And the fact that theater is what brings these guys together. It's not so much a focus on the show. It's a focus on how these people share this bond and how they're able to open up and everything and you know, a lot of people talk about how there's a lot of movies where men don't really express their emotions. You watch this film and you throw that discussion out the window because there are so many sequences where you just see these men open up and they're very vulnerable and they cry and they just, I mean, it really got to me more than I was expecting. Again, this wasn't even on my radar to see but it's always fun when you go to film festivals like TIFF, to where you think you have your set schedule. It's always going to change whether things open up or whether you decide you don't want to see the movie anymore. And the fact that this movie was so beloved and so celebrated throughout the entire festival and the fact that I last minute added it to my schedule. That's saying a lot about how powerful this movie ended up being Okay,
1: because of the reception. And I think that's also something we don't see a lot often is these very like this is the, the toughest group of people that we would probably consider in Mm -hmm. society, you know, seasoned inmates and cons, and they're probably very hardcore, some of them very violent. Um, so to see vulnerable masculinity coming from that type of place, I think that's really original. And I haven't seen much of that only integrated here and there in movies and TV shows. But I think that's really, Nice that they're doing a take on that, and then um like you said, the bonds through art and, st- and yeah nature. But um, what's your third pick?
0: My third pick is Anatomy of a Fall, which Ooh. was the first film that I saw at the festival. Uh, great, what an uplifting film to start off TIFF with! Because my God, <laughs> um, happiest film I may have ever seen. So there was a lot of buzz around this film because mm-hmm. it won the highest prize at the Cannes Film Festival, the Palm. So naturally, of course, everyone was really excited to see this. And something that I got to get off my chest about TIFF is that the way they schedule some of these movies, you would think that they would screen the buzziest titles a lot. They only screen this three times during the festival, one for press and two times for public in the first two days. So if you weren't in Toronto for that first few days, you weren't able Mm. to see. So it's not scattered. So it's It's, not scattered. Like certain titles, like The Boy and the Heron from Hayao Miyazaki, they had screens for that almost every single day. And um, with Anatomy of a Fall, I love courtroom dramas. I love slow burn thrillers. And I didn't watch the trailer prior to walking into this movie. I wanted to go into this as blind as possible. I knew the basics of it. It's about a woman that's accused of killing her husband and everything that goes down in her personal life with her son and her friends and everybody surrounding her and concerned that she is a public figure um i just the way that they go about presenting this movie and really painting a picture on this woman and not telling you if she is guilty or not that's something that i have to give a major round of applause to the filmmakers behind this film for i really was worried that i was going to walk out of this movie being like that was good but it was very overhyped because naturally when you walk into a movie that has so much buzz you always have to learn to tamper your expectations because you don't want to be that one guy that walks out the movie and says, that wasn't good. That was disappointing. Yeah. I don't get the hype surrounding it. Sure. And at first, I'm not going to lie, it took me a little while to get into the movie. I was interested in it, but I wasn't fully there. But then something happens later on. Again, not going to spoil it. I want everyone to go in and as little as possible with this movie. But it made me shift like My opinion. Yeah. Okay. And it was insane the places that they went to with this movie. And it's long. It's two and a half hours. It does go slow. It's not exactly the most exciting movie out there. But it's worth watching specifically for the performances. The the writing is exceptional. A lot of people are specifically referring to Sandra Hoover's performance as the thing to talk about with this movie and she is unbelievable and i really hope that she does get some love this award season i'm not some guy that likes to predict the oscars super early on but i really do hope that she has the chance of getting at least a nomination Mm. um but the writing is so good because again it paints these characters as real people you're not watching characters you're watching actual people in front of your eyes and even though this isn't a real story and these aren't real people i felt like i was watching real people in front of my eyes and the courtroom scenes are engaging. everything that happens outside the courtroom is compelling the family drama is wonderful there's some comedy incorporated in here that felt very earnest and whenever you watch a movie like this and there's comedy injected into it it can feel so jarring and out of place thankfully though the writing allows the comedy to help breathe everything that's going yeah. on, the cool down, all the tension that's going on around these characters. And that made of a fall. I mean, it really lived up to the hype and I was so worried that it wasn't. And I'm really glad that this was the first film that I saw at the festival because I knew that when they were press screening this early in the morning, a part of me was dreading watching a two and a half hour long movie at 8.30 in the morning, especially you know the morning after I got to Toronto. I was tired, I was exhausted. Yeah. But... I love the movie so much, and its I'd be shocked if it doesn't stay in my top 10 of the year. It's that good, really? and I and I know wow. that you plan on seeing this at some point in the couple I would couple love weeks. to see it. I, I was also
1: going to ask, um, do you think it's in the same realm of um, how Parasite penetrated into being in the Oscars and in the Best Picture category? Do you think it could have a chance in that?
0: I don't think it's going to be on the same level of success mm-hmm. as Parasite, but I do see it being – A potential strong contender in terms of the international features. I could see this definitely getting in for international feature. I believe at the time of this record, we don't know what France is submitting as their selection. Mm -hmm. And it would be very shocking if this wasn't that film. But even if that's the case, because a lot of the film is in English, I feel like this is still going to do super well at the awards because Neon is behind it. Neon knows how to campaign a movie. I mean, after what they did with Parasite, I mean, the possibilities are endless for the studio. So I definitely feel that this will be a strong contender. Do I think it's going to get like a bunch of Oscar nominations, like eight or nine? Probably not. But I definitely could see it being in picture, Sandra Hoover for actress, the screenplay, absolutely. And I would be, if it doesn't get an international feature nomination, I would be very happy if it does get those three nominations that I just listed. Because it really is some of the best work that you will see from a writing standpoint, from an acting standpoint, just straight up, it's one of the best films of the year so far. And it probably yeah. will end up being in my top 10 when the year's done.
1: Yeah, I feel like also if Parasite hadn't um, gotten all those accolades and all of those laurels, it, it wouldn't take away from the quality that is that film. And I think that Anatomy of a Fall is in that same category of, you know, it doesn't need the awards to validate its its quality and its storytelling. So I don't not that I expect it to get any Oscars, but it would be nice to have another series of foreign films into the best pictures Um, just because I think there have been some years that the best picture nominations have been lacking. At least maybe not every everyone, Um, but, you know, out of I think it's 10 films now. Mm -hmm. So not all of those 10 films have been great every single year that's so, bound to happen yeah which is okay um but if you can give that spot to a film like you know parasite which it deserved it that year and then um a foreign film like anatomy of the fall like i would campaign for that too so i hope that the academy
0: recognizes it in some way but um give me a number two number two is richard Linklater's hitman which is another film that I was anticipating to see because I'm a huge fan of Richard Linklater. I love a lot of his films and I do love when he decides to step out of his comfort zone to do something that doesn't feel very Richard Linklater-y. And when you find out that he's doing some action comedy, you're like, this doesn't sound like the guy who made the Before Trilogy or Boyhood or Days of Confuse or even School of Rock. But then you watch this film and it's honestly the best that he's done in years the last time that he made a film that i thought was genuinely great was probably boyhood from almost a decade ago and here Mm. he is doing something that's very high octane fast paced super sleek but also incredibly sexy and let me tell you something about this movie wow so anyone listening if you're a fan of glenn powell i mean i am too but (laughs) um they try to do the thing that a lot of these movies try to do where they try to make someone who's conventionally very hot to be not hot and it doesn't work at all. They try to give him the glasses, the long hair, and all the button shirts. I'm like, this doesn't work at all because you know what? You look at him and he could he could still kind of get it. I'm not gonna lie. I wouldn't say no if he comes up (laughs) to me like that. I'm I'm just I'm just expressing the truth. I would not say no if he comes up. But this was so much fun. This was a truly entertaining film and seeing this with a crowd at Toronto made me go I'm so excited to be here. I went to the North American premiere of it. It premiered at Venice to so much acclaim. A lot of people were walking out of Hitman celebrating and being like, that was a genuinely great movie. And I'm like, I mean, I expected it to be good and entertaining, but great movie. That's kind of a surprise. And my expectations skyrocketed. Then I sat down and I watched the movie and I walked out of it going, that was way better than it had any right to be. It's so quick. It's so entertaining. It's a hybrid action, noir, rom-com. And Glenn Powell is so good in this. I love that he's able to showcase the charisma that he has brought to quite a few films these last few years. There was a period where Glenn Powell was kind of gone. And then Mm. Top Gun Maverick kind of brought him back to the spotlight. And now a lot of people want to work with Glenn Powell. And he's great in this. The comedy here is razor sharp. It's so freaking funny. It's the funniest that Linklater has been in a long time. Really? But there's also a very great romance between Glenn Powell and I don't remember Ad- Adria, the woman's name. Adria or, uh, or Jonah. I got right in front that, of yeah. that's, me. Mm-hmm. That's her. That's the name. Couldn't yeah. have said it better than me. <laughs> but um, they're so good together. And it's a very steamy romance. And Richard Linklater, you think of Richard Linklater, sure, he's done romances before, but like nothing that's like sexy or steamy or like... Mm -hmm a lot of emotions rhyme through you when you're watching this. You're just like fanning yourself when you're watching. You're like, oh, Richard Linklater, my God, simmer down a little bit, please. (laughs) Uh Do you think it's like Mr. and Mrs. Smith at all? It kind of gives off a bit of Mr. and Mrs. Smith vibes, even though they're not a couple, these two. Mm -hmm. So basically, Glenn Powell, he's a college professor who has a part-time gig as an undercover cop, but then he ends up going undercover as a hitman. And it's just... It's, wow. it's just as silly as it sounds. You hear that premise and you're like, oh, that sounds ridiculous. And it is ridiculous, but it embraces that ridiculousness. It's just so smart and clever. I haven't seen a comedy this sharp in a really long time. Yeah. And I think it's one that when people do end up seeing it, a lot of audiences are going to be head over heels in love with it. Just today, actually a couple of hours ago, Netflix bought the rights for $20 million mm. and – Really? You know, I, I'm happy that someone finally picked it up because when this premiered at Venice and there was no distributor, I'm like, something obviously has to be up. Like, there yeah. must be a major bit in work going on and that definitely seems to be the case. $20 million for this movie, that's a major win for the film itself. Oh, absolutely. But Netflix picking it up definitely worries me a bit because you tend to get some films that are too good for Netflix. Like, a film like The Irishman... Even though Netflix financed that film themselves and they were willing to be the only people that gave Scorsese the money that he needed to bring that film to life, I feel like it just came and went. Like It didn't have a proper theatrical run. It got dumped on Netflix. And then not many people watched it. Because because of the runtime, too. People complained Mm -hmm. about the three-and-a-half-hour runtime when these are the same people who watch all ten episodes of Stranger Things in one (laughs) second. So, you know, I don't want to hear people being like, oh, how could you watch seven movies in one day? Well, how could you watch 10 episodes of Stranger Things in one send? That's like 13 hours of something. Yeah, it's
1: like half half the time. Yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. Mm -hmm. But- I'm glad that somebody picked up Hitman. And I do think that this is going to bode well with mainstream audiences. Mainstream audiences are going to log on to Netflix. They're going to see a movie called Hitman. They're going to mm-hmm. see Glenn Powell's in, and They're going to be like, oh, Glenn Powell. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> hot and everything. But then right. they watch the movie and they'll be pleasantly surprised. So I'm happy that someone finally picked it up. But I do hope it's a scenario to where Netflix gives it the proper attention that it deserves. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be some major Oscar player. Netflix has a lot of those this year. Maestro May December. Yeah. But I hope I really hope from the bottom of my heart as someone who really appreciates seeing this film with an audience that other people get to experience that as well.
1: Yeah. I I was going to say too, I I think it's a good point that you brought up Netflix um, because they at least lately have been commercializing a lot of their content. Like there was even um, the movie, the gray man with Ryan Gosling and, and Anna and, all these people, and that was like one of their biggest, budget their most films. expensive film. Yeah, to date. similar to
0: that uh Red Notice film that had the Rock right. and Ryan Reynolds. That was also yeah. like a big money juggernaut right. for them. And
1: and you wonder, like you know, they have the budget to back these up, but not necessarily did it deliver in its story storytelling. Mm-hmm. And you know, for an action movie too, the Russo brothers were also attached to it, so they know what they're doing when they're making an action movie. So they have the stars and the cast. Uh, or, the, or the stars and the directors um and you know it just feels like they have been um desensitizing a lot of their material or just you know it having i don't know the quality has just really declined for me personally no and it really has same with maestro looks like separate and the yeah, in the yeah maestro the looks thing. very separate
0: yeah. you wouldn't even mm-hmm. think that this is the same studio that pumps out all the like kissing booth movies or all homes or whatever. But you know, it is nice that every once in a while Netflix does take a liking towards Mm. these buzzier titles that will get them some awards attention. I mean, you look at something like Roma from a few years ago, that was a huge success for Netflix in terms of awards. And then they had the Irishman Mm. marriage story, trial of Chicago seven, Power of the Dog, they had. I don't remember yeah. they had a big title last year, but yeah, there's
1: like an art house version there, of Netflix. There is, it's you really would, funny you would never when everybody it that, that way. it's
0: the same people. Mm-hmm. Oh, Glass Onion, they had last year, Glass yeah, Onion, that was because,
1: commercialized, and like, that was that very was, commercialized, especially to the point where they yeah. decided,
0: Oh, we're gonna have a theatrical run. It's going to be short, but we're going to give people the opportunity to go see this in theaters. And it did very well for them. It, it made right. it a really good amount of money. And honestly, if they had kept it in theaters mm-hmm. longer, I bet you more people would have gone out to see it.
1: Right. And I, I think it's it, like especially Glass Onion. That was a really glazed over version of um, the first Knives Out. Mm-hmm. Like the A lot of the unique... Um, I don't know if that's like a lot of it was dependent on the script between Ryan Johnson and the production. Um, Daniel Craig was still pretty good in that movie, but I felt like the story overall was really like all over the place. Um, So compared to the first one, um, and then the the first Knives Out had so much success and being so original, like Who Done It again. I feel like them making weren't they in for two and three like they they, they called in ryan johnson for like we're going to make two more with
0: you netflix. Yeah, yeah netflix signed this really big deal where they acquired two knives out sequels for like
1: a like a 400 number. million dollars yeah it was a
0: huge acquisition and you know netflix gave ryan johnson the budget that he needed for not mm. glass onion they haven't started doing the third knives out yet but Um, And you could definitely sense that the budget was way bigger with Glass Onion because it looks so much glossier than that first film, which looked Mm. a bit darker and everything. And I do like how they're two very separate films. They don't rely on one another. They just happen to have the same character as the lead, which is great. But Mm. um, it is unfortunate that you see Netflix putting so much effort into promoting one project, but then they push aside the project that actually deserves the attention. So yeah. I'm so worried that with Hitman they're going to they acquired it. They're and they're going to do very little promotion for it. They're not going to give it a proper theatrical run and then it's just going to be dumped on the service and then no mm. one's going to talk about it again. I
1: almost felt the same way too with uh Fincher's The Killer, which yeah. I was like, you know, this is that's this another is one. David yeah. Fincher. That's, that's another That's another big title. And I felt that way with Mank. You know, Mank was yeah. like very unique um i you know i couldn't tell what that I, I think it was very separate from ventures other works obviously um it was a period piece and they made the audio sound like 1940s audio they it really was a brought very different that, pro- you wouldn't think yeah of venture a song who movie like mank yeah and, and there was yet still a commercial element to it as a netflix film and i think that movie didn't get a theatrical release as well. It came out
0: during the height of COVID. So it was hard for it to get a proper theatrical run, Mm. but it still ended up being a major awards contender. It got a lot of award buzz. It got a lot of nominations and everything, but even still it's like David Fincher, one of the most celebrated filmmakers working today. No one wanted to give him the money for that film. So instead Netflix decided we're going to give him the money for this, which was great on Netflix's part. But at the same time, it would be nice if they put more dedication towards those projects like they do with a lot of their shows and some of their movie franchises.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I did see one thing that I was actually applauding them for was they were investing, um, I think it was almost a billion dollars in just South Korean entertainment Mm -hmm. as a whole. So after the success of squid game, they want to really get into more um, showcasing of South Korean content. Um, but after our tangent on Hitman being acquired by Netflix, I think we're going to um get into your number one pick. Yes, so, tell me about that. Yeah,
0: so my favorite film that I saw at TIFF was actually the one I was most excited to see. I'm a huge fan of the filmmaker behind this film and I have happily defended most of his films, but his last film was not very good. My favorite film of the festival was The Holdovers from Alexander Payne starring Paul Giamatti. Mm. I love Alexander Payne. He is honestly a filmmaker that I may respect more than other people. Sideways is really in contention to maybe being my favorite film ever made. I wow. know I brought up before Catch you If You Can is my favorite, but Sideways is like right there. It's it's very close. It's very okay. close. And then Election is great. The Descendants is great. Nebraska is great. Unfortunately, can't say the same thing about Downsizing because that was that was not a win for Alexander Payne, and it's unfortunate because. Lots of potential behind that one, and it turned out to be a massive dud. So I was worried that his first film since that was going to be worse than that. But there's only one place to go, and that's Up. Okay. You can't go down with that. And Mm -hmm. thankfully, he went up, and The Holdovers is a really beautiful film. It's so moving. It's so tender. It's a great balance of comedy and drama, some of that Alexander Payne is always so good with. It's very hard to balance comedy and drama and blush it into one. Mm. But the fact that he's able to do it so successfully is saying so much of his craft as a filmmaker. He usually writes his films, but this was one of the few times where he just directed. And the directing here is so subtle and earnest and honest, and the screenplay is wonderful too. These are characters that are very, very broken and very lost with so much going on. They're all going through their own struggles. Mm. But the movie does a great job of painting them as not perfect people. And that's the case with a lot of Alexander Payne's movies. His main characters tend to be very flawed individuals. In The Descendants with George Clooney's character, he's a very flawed guy. Yes, someone likable like George Clooney is playing his character, but the character that he plays is incredibly flawed. Nebraska, Bruce Stern's character, super flawed. Election, Matthew Broderick and Reese Witherspoon, very flawed people. And then in Sideways, Paul G. Mye's character is just as flawed as you could possibly imagine. That's the case here. They reunite after 20 years of not having worked together. And Paul Giamatti is extraordinary here. It's an unbelievably good performance. It's one of the best of the year. But the performance that I think everybody should be talking about is this kid, Dominic Sessa. This was mm. his first time acting. Really? Alexander Payne found him at just some school. Just what? acting. Wow. And you watch the movie, you would not guess for a second that this is this kid's first movie. You would mm-hmm. not think, and he's acting alongside someone giant like Paul Giamatti, someone who's very experienced and well trained. Oh, yeah. And this kid was unbelievable, and there was so much development towards him. And I know that the academy has a tendency of not recognizing performances from younger people, but I firmly believe if the cards are played right and the studio campaigns the crap out of this movie, I think this Dominic Sessa kid could sneak into the Best Support Actor race and get a nomination. It would be a very deserving one, for sure. And the chemistry between him and Paul Giamatti is wonderful. And the aesthetic of this movie, too, is something yeah. that I think you're going to appreciate. Because yeah. it's set in the 70s. It feels like a movie from the 70s. The way it opens up, it's super grainy. The neo-drops throughout the movie are incredible. Mm. And it just feels so vintage. It feels like it was dug up in a capsule that was buried in the 70s and now it's coming out to life in 2023 and it is also a future christmas classic it's set during christmas and we all love christmas movies but this is definitely going to be a yearly christmas watch So is this is
1: going to be like in the um rivalry of Die Hard being a christmas movie, you know, like this is going to be set around christmas It's set around really. christmas. Christmas <laughs> plays more
0: of a pivotal part of the story than than it, Die does, Hard. than it does in Die Hard, but um no, it's really incredible. It got so much acclaim out of the Telluride Film Festival which happened right before TIFF. Mm. And this was actually second place to win the People's Choice Award. At People's Choice, for anyone who doesn't know, is like the equivalent of Best Picture at the Toronto Film Festival. Really? And The Holdovers was actually the runner-up to win the award. Um, It was very close. It was a very well-respected film at the festival. Everyone was just buzzing and glowing about it. Practically everybody that I knew that saw it loved it. I hadn't met anybody that didn't at least like the movie and that's saying a lot, considering that again, Alexander Payne is coming off a film that disappointed critics and audiences, and longtime fans of his work, just like myself. So for the holdovers to be a return to form to him, yeah, is so exciting, and you could just see how great he is as a director. Because a lot of the movies you see him as a great writer and a director, but this is a showcase of him just as a director, and it's really some of the best work that he's ever done. Yeah. It's really terrific, and I cannot stress enough how wonderful this film is. It's Right now, it's in my top five of the year. I don't see it leaving the top five, and I don't want to mm. oversell it or overhype the movie for anyone listening, but it genuinely is a crowd pleaser. People are going to walk out of this movie just so moved by it. They're going to laugh a lot. They're going to cry. Paul J. Mm. says some things that... I don't even know who wrote this script, but I'm just like, how could someone come up with this? This is just wow. genius work. And it's so good. It follows these lonely people and it's really beautiful. It just moved me so much. Mm. I laughed one minute, then I cried the next. It was my absolute favorite film that I saw at Tiff.
1: That's really cool. I, I immediately, when I saw the trailer, I, I like going back to what you were saying about how vintage it looked. And I love the aesthetic that they brought to it of, like you said, like they, they dug. It looks like they dug up a film canister, and this movie was just forgotten about, and it was from the nineteen seventies. That's how accurate they nailed the
0: look and the feel of it. They nail it to the transitions and mm, the cuts and the pants and everything. You you genuinely feel like you're watching a film from the seventies. You forget that this movie was made in twenty twenty three. That's awesome, and I feel like that'll be a bigger appreciation for
1: anyone who grew up in that time period and might go see the film, Um and then. From the trailer, too, I felt like my first impression was, you know, this feels like a 70s version of Dead Poets Society, but absolutely. they're more damaged and Mr. Keating isn't as inspirational. <laughs> he's, you know, Paul Giamatti is a titan in his own right, and I've always loved his work, and I think he's still one of the most underappreciated actors he absolutely right now. is. It's time yeah. that we
0: really give Paul Giamatti the recognition that some mm-hmm. of these other actors get. Like, Paul Giamatti, he's always a great presence in anything that he's in, whether he's the lead or the support. But whenever he's the lead in anything, that's where his best work is showcased. And the fact that this was his movie, but sharing the screen with Dominic Sessa and also Divine Joy Randolph, who's unbelievably good here as Mm -hmm. well. It's nice to know that Alexander Payne and Paul Giamatti, when they work together, it's literal magic. And they've only done two movies together. That's great. And it's equivalent to kind of, like scorsese and dicaprio when they worked together mm. it just gave me that vibe of one of the best director actor parents that i've ever seen
1: that's really cool and um for anyone who's interested it has so far from early reviews an 8.1 on imdb and a 95 percent on rotten tomatoes so i'm going to take brian's word for it and everyone else's word for it on just the quality of this film and i'm really excited for this i think this is going to be my one of my favorite watches yeah i I, I, I can't it. see yeah.
0: you not at least like yeah and i could definitely see you being over the moon about it just like me
1: awesome yeah i'm really excited about that and and then um so i've been hearing a lot of um buzz in a negative way from toronto about chris pines <laughs> directorial debut to the point where people have literally walked out and have also just written some of like the the straightest like cutthroat headlines that i've seen in recent media uh, like of any movie review which i was blown away by like like so give me your give me your take on um pool man i i have know nothing about this film so just tell me about it yeah
0: <laughs> oh man i don't even know where to begin with this mm. one so like when they announced that chris pine's directorial debut was coming to toronto i was really excited i love chris pine mm. i stand by saying that he is the best Chris in the industry. I know that's up for discussion, Whoa. but Whoa. I, 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 <laughs> I, I knew that that reaction was coming, but I love Chris Pine. I just think he's so likable and charismatic, and I love that he does a mix of everything, comedy, drama, musicals. He was Captain Kirk, for goodness sakes. yeah, And I thought the idea of his debut sounded like a good time. It, it sounded ridiculous, but it sounded like a movie that was so bad that it was going to be entertaining. And, and <laughs> it was so bad that it was just so bad. And when I went to the premiere screen, I went to the world premiere screen of this. So there were no reactions to this prior. No one had seen the movie. So I had no idea mm. how people were feeling about this. The screen was packed. It was full. It was right after I saw another movie with the word man in the title. I saw Hitman, and then I directly went to go see this right afterwards. There were about, I would say, maybe 500 people in the theater when the movie started. Okay, so pretty big attendance, yeah. Pretty big attendance. And then about halfway through the movie, I noticed that the seats were getting empty. They were getting very empty. Oh, no. And then by the time the movie ended... I would say about a little more than half of that theater was empty. Mm. I had seen over 20 films at that point. That, that was on my second to last day of the festival. And I'm, I'm sure that there were people that walked out of some movies while I was there. But this number of walkouts genuinely caught me off guard. Wow. And then I said to myself, you know what, though? I don't blame them because the movie kind of sucked. And it's (laughs) disappointing because there actually was a lot of potential because on top of Chris Pine directing it and also acting in it, there was a really great ensemble here. I mean, the the cast for this is very stacked. You have Annette Benning, You have Jennifer Jason Leigh. You have Dave DeVito, for goodness sakes. The, The cast here is massive. It's stacked. And it's supposed to be a spin on Chinatown. Kind of mixed with The Big Lebowski. So if you love Chinatown, I mean, the movie literally just plays out as a Chinatown wannabe. Chris Pine plays this pool man, and then this mystery happens and everything. And I don't want to go into spoilers with it, but I was genuinely shocked by how dull this movie was. But also, and more importantly, it was so incredibly unfunny and these are really funny people in the movie, but there were so many jokes that I'm just like
1: stale. Well that yeah. was
0: that mm-hmm. didn't land at all, Chris. I don't know what you're trying to do, buddy. And it's unfortunate and I said this to my friends who came with me to the screen I think Chris Pine might have lost the title for the best Chris. I was going to say after this movie this doesn't I, sound very it, reassuring. It's, for it's really sad because <laughs> you could tell that he poured a lot of heart into this movie and you could tell that he was excited to make this movie. Now he wasn't there promoting the movie, even though he was directing it, he was not there because he wanted to stand in solidarity with his fellow actors mm-hmm. and writers and everything. But had he been there? Oh man, I that would have been really bad. Wow. And there was a Q&A with the producer right afterwards, but I had already walked out when the movie when the movie was done, I left. And I felt <laughs> I, I low key felt bad. I felt really bad, but this film was just so disastrous. And it's disappointing because even though it sounded so goofy, it sounded like it was going to be a fun time. Mm-hmm. And usually when you go to film festivals, you don't want to just see all these Oscar Beatty acclaimed movies you want to see something that's entertaining like i had just seen hitman and that was a fun time that was a great time actually yeah. but then to go from that to pull man which was my least fair thing that i saw at mm-hmm. if it broke my heart it really did and you know after the movie ended there was a part of me that was like wonder if i'm the only one that didn't like it but then when i realized that there was so many walk-ins i'm like well obviously i'm not the only one who didn't dig it and then the following morning i go on twitter and i see all these reactions chris pine's threat to our debut disastrous terrible debut chris pine might have lost the title for the best chris and i'm like well i guess i'm not the <laughs> only one who felt that way and thank god and i had to tell people who were trying to go to the press screen the following morning i'm like do not go see pool man don't wow. go see pool man save yourself go see something else and they're like no, but I want to see Pool Man to support Chris Pine, and I'm like, well, if you want to go see Pool Man, just wait for whenever it comes out. Mm, uh, okay. and man, I mean, I was hoping that we wouldn't talk about Pool Man. I was no, hoping, I that, we only, I was hoping yeah. that we would only talk about. I was hoping that we would only talk about the
1: winners yeah. today. But oh no, we need we needed that because of just the headlines alone. I know, I know, to, I know. You're, <laughs> not you're, who, you're not the only one. You're not the only one who's asked yeah. me
0: about Pool Man. Everyone's been like, "Was Pool Man that bad?" And I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, that it sounds like you still got a lot of uh, great festival, notable picks. And um, I mean, just the fact that you were able to go experience this and um, sit down, even though that all the celebrities and the directors weren't there, it's still a pretty fulfilling experience. And, you know, is this a festival that you would recommend over other ones or, or like as your top one that you would say? Oh,
0: absolutely. Because at this festival, you get a mix of all these big, profile titles but then you also get a lot of these super small titles that have little to no buzz and just these filmmakers trying to get their voices discovered and everything toronto is a great city i highly recommend everyone go to it but also just the energy that's there throughout this entire film festival is so apparent like everyone gets so excited people applaud before the movies begin there's all these cool commercials that happen beforehand that the people at tiff put together it's really incredible the vibes there are just unlike anything that you will ever see at any other film festival. Right. And I haven't been to every single one, obviously. There's still so many that I would love to cross on my bucket list. Sundance being one of them. I want to go to Cannes. I want to go to Venice. I want to go to South by Southwest. But TIFF really might be the best one. And... To everyone I've talked to that have gone to most of the festivals, a lot of them unanimously agree that TIFF is their favorite one. Just the energy there is unlike anything and just the vibes and it's so relaxed and it's so calm. Even though it's a very packed film festival, you're walking around King Street, which is in downtown Toronto, and you're just Pat's like sardines and you're yeah. moving around and everything. But it's a really wonderful festival. And I highly recommend that if anyone ever has the opportunity to go, definitely put it on your list. It may be a bit pricey, but it's worth every single penny.
1: That's awesome, man. Well, thank you for coming in. And thank, thank you, you for, for having me. Of course. Well, thank you for talking about all of your experience. And um, we'll try and get there with you whenever we can, too. And, uh, we'll absolutely. Right we absolutely love you guys of, to be there, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, thanks again. Everybody also check out Brian's podcast, Film Fragments, and um, The Rolling Tape, his uh, outlet that he's covering films and journalism with. But this is the Cinema Wave Media Podcast. You can follow us on youtube instagram facebook tiktok it is at cinema wave media and then be sure to follow our main network page um, underscore culture wave media network and um, we will see you next time thanks again for tuning in